Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to the Friday show, looking back at the white knuckle ride that was the international break, but more importantly, looking forward to the return of the Premier League and a rather tricky game, Saturday tea time. I'm delighted to be joined today by the main man himself. Good morning, Asan. Good morning, Howard. How are you doing? I'm pretty good, mate. How are you? Yeah, bit of housekeeping. I am not lying, there is a leaf blower outside. <laughs> Splendid. But- but he is on the other side of the road this time, so I hope it's not quite as loud. Obviously, he'll come over this side. He's definitely crossing that road at some point, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, as I told you off, off air, I left the heating on accidentally, so I got quite the backdraft when I walked into the lounge this morning. So it's nice and toasty in Manchester uh, today. Uh, so how's things your end? Uh, yeah, cold. Um, I, I really enjoyed the international break, to be honest with you. I needed... Um, two weeks away from football. I feel as though maybe the start of last week with Sam's FFP story and Sterling slapping, uh, slapping go Joe, Joe Gomez. Um, I think that kind of sucked me back in, but then as soon as that died, basically as soon as the internationals actually started, I just switched off. So I feel refreshed now. I think we should be thanking the likes of Raheem and Daniel Levy for, Spicing up the tedium that you've been touched up, right? And you, all we do is criticise them. You can't win sometimes, can you? No, it's true. I mean, it, it is definitely true that... Uh, I mean, is it just me or... Uh, I guess it is the a byproduct of the 24-7 rolling news cycle and social media and Twitter, but it just feels like football off the pitch is bigger than what goes on the pitch, on, on the pitch sometimes. Does that make sense? Yeah. You should write a blog about that. <laughs> I, should, I should write a blog about lots of things. Yeah, I well, yeah, it kind of ties it. I've, I've got a half-written blog that will take me a year to write because I don't know quite how to word it about faux outrage, and it kind of ties in with that. Mm. That literally, the, you know, because you have to fill a lot more content on the internet than you do with a newspaper, a physical newspaper, which is how it used to work. Uh, it's just the contrived stories now are just uh, astonishing. You know, it's just. It's overwhelming at some point. You know, the things people get annoyed about is just staggering. It's absolutely staggering. Mm. Uh, you've just got to, you've got to, I don't know, filter it out most of the time, or it'll drive you insane in a way. So, you know what you should do? You should get to the opening question so I can display some faux outrage. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if that blog ever gets written, it starts with the uh, Carlos Tevez's R.I.P. Fergie sign that he held up on the trophy parade and the outrage from that so yeah we don't condone that we don't condone uh we don't condone jokes about people dying ah but it wasn't that's the point i know i would (laughs) (laughs) i I thought for one minute then no 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 my tongue was firmly in my cheek then mate don't you worry it's about to stop the podcast and get someone else on. Right, let's do the opening question then. It, it's not even a question. It just says, Pochettino out, Mourinho in, discuss. So, Asan, I left it pretty open for you. I think I your said- thoughts on what Daniel Levy did out of the blue somewhat uh, this week? I think I said everything I wanted to say on Twitter yesterday, um, for anybody who didn't see it very briefly. I don't really understand the logic in replacing Pochettino with Mourinho because I think that Mourinho is an inferior manager to Pochettino. I think that um, Spurs, when Pochettino came in, were a bit of a joke and he's made them a club uh, capable of satiating Mourinho's ego. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Levy should go and employ Mourinho. Um I mean, look, I just don't like the guy. I think he's, I think that we, we, the general public, we forgive a lot of things if you're really, really good at what you do, right? Yeah. Um, and I think Mourinho got away with his shtick whilst he was a top level manager. Yeah. I just don't think he's that manager anymore. And therefore, the circus around him, I find tedious. Um, I think the kind of, I find it quite strange the fawning way in which his return has been lauded. It just seems like a very odd way to speak about the return of a guy who was so unceremoniously sacked 
12 months ago, having failed so miserably at his previous job. I mean, just the, the, the whole thing seems one big, huge PR exercise, no matter which angle I look at it from. I think very little of it has actually got to do with football. I, I read Dan Taylor, um, wrote some, oh no, maybe it was Dan Taylor, maybe it was, um, Martin Samuel. Somebody wrote some in the last 24 hours about Mourinho being a serial trophy winner. It's like, well, you know, okay. So Spurs have got an FA Cup or a League Cup to look forward to in the next two or three years. I'm not sure that that's really what they're after. Um, I'm not sure that the Europa League or the uh, Carling Cup that he wins when he's at United is good enough for United fans or for United. Do you see the point that I'm making? It just it, there's a oh, yeah. there's a weird disconnect between um, how Mourinho is spoken about and his actual achievements in the last three or four years, and even maybe his coaching ability. So, but yeah, that's well, my take on it. Well, that's the level of where. I, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I agree with everything you say about Mourinho. I've, I won't say much because just read my blog today instead of my weekly thoughts where I literally say the same thing. Uh, I think journalists like him because, well, they, they do fawn over him. They'll be laughing at everything he says in press conferences. It's bizarre how low the humour level bar is in a press conference when a manager says something remotely pithy. But I think for them it's just easy content. I mean, that he makes their job very easy. But I think for the rest of us, it's it's tiresome in the extreme. For Spurs, it's more a case of what do they, what would they rather be? They've not won anything. So I think, was it 2007, the League Cup? I think they won against Chelsea. So that's it for 20 years. Would they rather start accumulating? I mean, it'd be a bit slightly hypocritical of us to say, you, should, you know, winning those sort of trophies doesn't matter because we've said it matters to City. It's helped us build us up starting from that FA Cup. But do Spurs want to be... Spurs are now kind of perennial Champions League qualifiers. Or have been, yeah, they might not be this season. So really, they are going backwards if they're now going to be Europa League. You know, one competitors instead. And it's like, that, what do they want? Do they want to start building up any trophies whatsoever? Or do they want, want to be the team that, that's top four but doesn't quite win anything? So he's a contender but never wins anything. And as you say, I mean, this Mourinho will take the usual path. He'll win. Can't win the League Cup this year because they went out to Colchester. Uh, so he's only got the FA Cup to win this season. Or the Champions League. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But the, the path I see him taking is what you hinted at before, a domestic tro- a cup competition domestically. That's his best chance of winning something. And it's probably the League Cup next year is his best chance of winning something. And then he'll have to say, well, look at me. I've, st- I've, you know, I've changed the mentality of this club and so on and so on. And that will give him time and allow him to act the way he always acts. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he can be a great manager. We know that he's been there and he wa- once was. I just think everyone's too savvy to put up with his shtick now. The mind games, all that sort of thing. It, it doesn't serve any purpose whatsoever. Yeah, you know, he's just got to... He's got to inspire the players. I'm not sure he does that with players anymore. I think he alienates too many. Mm. Uh, but leaving Mourinho out of it, was it right to get rid of Pochettino, do you think? I'm a bit surprised by what you wrote in your blog this morning about Pochettino. I'm surprised in general at um, some of the... going too bad. I no. Mean, it's a guarded point more than anything. Just a wait and see. Uh, okay. I guess that... I guess the thing that surprises me um, about opinions surrounding Pochettino is I think that we can all acknowledge that the last, certainly 2019, has been a year of serious regression for Spurs, right? Mm. People have argued that uh, the last two years have been a downward trajectory in terms of the uh, the number of points that they've actually accumulated. I've got a few things to say about that. I think that firstly, if you look at City in the last two years, I mean, we've not really let anybody get close. I think by March, April, yeah, Spurs have been so far out of it that doesn't really matter. 
So what I mean by that is they've been secure in their top four place, but well out of the title race. Mm. Yeah. So that kind of statistical regression that people talk about, I'm not sure how relevant it is to a footballing regression. In terms of the footballing regression in 2019, look, I absolutely acknowledge that what, how long has Pochettino been there? Five and a half years? Five and a half years. Right, okay, right? So I absolutely acknowledge that you can be a top manager. Look at Klopp at Dortmund, right? You could be a top manager. There just comes a point where the players stop listening or where a yeah. disconnect happens. And I think that I've said this a few times. For me, the very obvious disconnect at Spurs is I think if you read between the lines, he expected to leave Spurs this summer. I think he probably expected to be offered a job or he expected a club to come in and buy him out of his Spurs contract. But they never did. Then it becomes a conversation about does he resign because he feels he's gone as far as he can. The issue is nobody walks away from a contract payout, do they? So he isn't going to, even if he's mentally decided, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. He's not going to resign. He's going to wait to get sacked. The players are going to smell that. What we've seen in 2019 is a dressing room that see a manager who they know doesn't want to be there anymore. And look, the football world is tiny. Like we, on the supporter side, we know nothing, absolutely nothing behind the curtain. Everybody knows everything and there are no secrets. So when Moussa Sissoko goes on a French, uh, a big French football show uh, in the run-up to the Champions League final, and they say to him, you must be really excited. Your career has been completely resurrected by Pochettino and now you're going into the Champions League final. You must be relishing next season and pre-season. And he turns around and he goes, well, we don't know what's going to happen in the summer. Maybe there'll be a new project. Maybe there'll be a new manager manager maybe the new manager won't like me anymore right and that was said in such a way with such a smile on his face that he knew that there was a change coming so I think that behind the scenes at Spurs the players have known for a little while that Poch is done so that explains the regression was it right to sack Pochettino yes was it right to replace him with Mourinho (laughs) obviously my answer is no, but that's just me talking because I don't rate Mourinho. He he will be judged on the results and the performances and the trophies in the next two and a half, three years, however long he's there. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I say on the blog, I don't go in on him. I say he's an excellent manager, but I just, you know, I started reading the other day just a few things that Spurs fans themselves who watch every minute of him say, and you know, there's, there's just little things that nag away at me, but at the end of the day, you could probably look at any manager in the like world. Like what? Do. No, I, well, I'll, I'll come to it. I'll just, yeah, some, uh, just uh, his use of substitutions, his use of overuse, his uh, not wanting to rotate. Uh, some, there was mentioned that he some of the signings weren't made because he didn't want to deal with big egos, which is problematic, if true, of course. If he then, Are you talking you know, about, sorry, are you talking about Pochettino or Pep? Pochettino. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, and just little stuff tactically during games. I mean, I've seen them tactically brilliant so many times, but I've seen them, you know, and let's ignore the last six months, as you said, because there's definitely uh, circumstances there that are different and understandable that could happen to any manager. Just little things that I don't think, you know, I just find the hype over him. Yeah, Don't get me wrong, he's probably, he's earned a big job now. Mm. I don't dispute that. But I still, he's never, been, yeah, I guess a lot of it is he's not been there until it's a totally different level of job. And I just find, I find the hype that he could walk into any job in world football just bizarre. I know there is excellent reasons why he's not won anything because, you know. What could say, he have won if, in the last two years? Oh, no, no, I, I say that in the boy. If Pep had been in the same jobs, then he wouldn't be, you know, won 15 trophies, would he? Mm. But, you know, there were three points behind Leicester with 10 games to go in that title winning. Uh, that in Leicester's title-winning season, and you know that happens. They tailed off. It can happen. Uh, their squad probably wasn't good then as it was now, so you could say that was still a great achievement. Uh, and they've got, you know, they've got close to stuff. And I just wonder. I don't know their final performance, their semi-final, even in the Carabao Cup last year was all right. But again, they lose. 
I just, I'm not convinced. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying mm. he's a fraud. I'm not saying he won't succeed. And I'd quite like him to succeed. I really would, you know, unless he goes to United, where I hope I'm <laughs> proved totally right. But I just feel the hype is slightly too much. That was all I was really trying to say. I mean, I, I, but a guy who's never won anything, I don't, I don't see how he walks into any job in world football. So but he certainly, certainly, certainly has shown enough to get. Yeah, you know, to get a a big job now with a budget where he can try and prove himself on the biggest stage. Okay, fair enough. So look, I'm I agree with everything you've just said there, right? Where I my my issue with some of the stuff that I read yesterday, um, and some of the stuff I've seen people say about Pochettino is the other names that I hear. I'm like, well, none of those guys have done anything either. So. If you're going to say, well, Pochettino's never won anything, well, what's Eric Ten Hag won? And what has uh, Marco Rose won? And what has uh, Tuchel won? And what has, um, who's the other one? Nagelsmann, Julian Nagelsmann. What has all of these hipster yeah. coaches, right, who, when you talk to City fans, Arteta, what has Arteta won? What team has he even managed? I mean, I think that I'm absolutely fine with the idea that Pochettino isn't, like he's not, he's not won anything. So for a coach who's not won anything, you just, you're not, you ain't world class, right? You've got to go and prove it. A big club wins something and people will go find you world class or you go and win something with a smaller club. He didn't win anything with Spurs. So he can't have that tag. I'm okay with that. I just think that when people go, oh, I can't believe that people are suggesting that Pochettino could replace Guardiola. I'm a little bit like, well, when I look at all the other names on the list, they're all, much of a muchness. It's not like the, there is no Pep Guardiola Mark II. There is no coach who can come in and replace Pep Guardiola and have the effect that Pep had because Pep is arguably the greatest coach ever and certainly by some distance the greatest coach of his generation. So the, the drop off from Pep is coming. It's going to happen. There's no, nobody is going to step in and it's just going to carry on flawlessly, seamlessly. Everything's going to be a risk. So I guess that within the context of that, I'm just quite surprised when I hear people say, well, I, I, I Poch has proven nothing. I'd rather give it to Arteta. I'm just like, no offense, but Pochettino has proved that he can be a first team manager. Yeah. And have a team be competitive in the Premier League. Arteta has proved that he can be an assistant. Doesn't really mean anything to me. Yes, well, it's the great unknown with Arteta. Exactly. It's like, I mean, Vieira was the guy. At one point, Vieira was going to be the guy. Dominic Torrent was going to be the guy. I mean, it's just like, you know, you can't just be like, you know, this this notion that like there's like a, a shortcut to getting a world-class coach is bollocks. It's no different than thinking there's a shortcut to getting a world-class player. There just isn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a very... It's a very unique thing and it's a very complicated thing. And I think that where I worry, just very briefly on the Arteta thing, I think Arteta could well be, go on to be a world-class manager. My worry would be the players have had three years of Arteta or will have done by the time Guardiola leaves. So there is no fresh voice when Pep goes. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think that Guardiola is such an all-encompassing personality. I'm not saying that when he goes, you need to rip it up. But when he goes, you need a new personality who comes in and makes the club their own. I appreciate that you want to carry on the tactical work and the principles of Guardiola. I completely agree with that. But you also need somebody who will be their own man and who will have their own personality and who will bring something fresh to the squad. And I'm not sure that that can be done internally. Okay. That was fair points. Uh, After all... The way to keep winning stuff is to keep it fresh. Totally. Not stale. You know, Alex Ferguson used to change his number, his assistants apparently, so it was different on the training ground. Uh, so the story goes. And yeah, you need that balance between, can't throw away everything the players have learnt during uh, Pep's reign when he does go eventually. But you need to use that and get someone similar, but also different. 100%. And you know, Guardiola has has gone on record and said that Pochettino at Spurs are the nearest team to City in the way that they play in the Premier League. 
tactically. And I, I saw somebody say say to me on Twitter yesterday um, that, oh yeah, but Pep, Pep pays lip service to to lots of managers and coaches. Absolutely, he does. Marty Perrineau told me that Pochettino is the nearest thing to Guardiola in the uh, in the Premier League in terms of the positional system that that Pep employs, the the high pressing. There's just it's. You know, they, they come from basically the same school. So there is a, there would be a continuity with Poch from a tactical, uh, point of view. And that, again, I'm not trying to, you know, it was more of a, it was a filling when I, when I, when I began the conversation. Yeah. It was really more about filling some time during the international break and just asking the question of what people think about Pochettino as a potential future replacement for Guardiola. Honestly, 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 I didn't expect there to be as many negative responses as there were. And it really surprised me to the point where I really kind of went, maybe I've got Potch wrong. Maybe I do overrate him because, you know, so many people seem to be saying to me, I don't see what's special about him. Well, time will tell. Uh, it's probably irrelevant because I, I doubt he'd have a sabbatical and he may well be in a job very soon. I so reckon so. Not available to City. All I would say about Arteta is... Just because he's been the assistant to Pat doesn't mean that he'll carry on exactly the same methods. So you can't say that he takes if he was promoted from within that it would be exactly the same. I'm sure he'd have different methods that he'd want to impose himself. Definitely, so, definitely. So we can't yeah you know, we can't just say that Arteta would everything would be exactly the same and it'll get stale because it's carrying on what Pep did. Uh, he has to impose himself when he gets his first managerial job. And believe in himself to do some things differently. I'm sure he doesn't think that Pep's perfect and that everything he does, you know, is the way to go. Now, I, I don't know if you saw Eddie Jones, the rugby coach, you know, Higgins rugby union coach. I've seen there. it. Yeah, so he thought he knew about coach until he went to see uh, Pep, but then he realised how much he had to learn. So, uh, that the sort of articles that will immediately get Liverpool fans replying underneath on Twitter because <laughs> just cannot. <laughs> Cannot accept the the prospect that uh, Pep Guardiola is a brilliant coach. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I just I'm I'm uh, in an ideal world. Yeah, Arsenal sack Emery tomorrow, right? And Arsenal desperately want Arteta, and the very very clever cheeky Bagarestein goes, mate, go go and take that job today. Make sure you put a buyout in that contract and we'll see you in 18 months. And then for 18 months, he go manage Arsenal. We can see just how he operates within an environment as a first team coach and manager. It takes him away from our squad for 18 months so that if we do want to bring him back, it feels like a fresh voice. So that's, that's my ideal thing to do with Arteta, but it's never happening. Obviously. Crossing the divide. I don't know. Spurs to Arsenal. Well, maybe. It's just a job for them, isn't it? So. In it. Right, let's move on. That international break, we're going to be brief. Uh, firstly, city-wise, do you think after, I asked this on the international pod to stay, after Liverpool defeat, do you think this break came at a good or bad time for City? <laughs> well, I listened to Steve's answer and shook my head all the way through it. Um, <laughs> I, think it I think it's a great moment because I think that... Um, it wasn't just a defeat at Anfield. It was a lot of different things. And I think that, you know, we've, the the nearest, the, I guess the thing that I could equate it to, the game or the moment that I could equate it to the most was uh, losing to Spurs in the Champions League at the end of last season, the, the second leg, and then having to go play Spurs at the weekend. I don't think there's been a more on-edge Guardiola team performance at City than the Spurs performance on the Saturday. And granted, we win it 1-0, and it's an incredible performance considering how early we score. But I just don't think that... I think that performance was a mentally strong but psychologically scarred performance. Um, And I just feel that this break and everybody going their separate ways will do them all the world of good because they can kind of come back refreshed out of their system, the injustices out of their system, and just focus on Chelsea as a new game and focus on this part of the season as a new part of the season. So for me, it's a good thing. Okay. 
Yeah, well, I'll take the third viewpoint of I've no idea. So <laughs> I don't think it has a, a major effect either way. It's, mm. yeah, these things, these breaks come. Uh, games are close together sometimes and spread out sometimes. Players surely used to that and have to deal with it. So, but yeah, I hope they, I hope it's focused in for the league games yeah, in the future. So we will see. Uh, as for England, again, not to spend too long on this. Uh, thoughts on them? Are they actually enjoyable to watch now? Because they were. The thing yeah. is, the thing about England is, yeah, we, we always assume they fail at some point, but they weren't. They were less than the sum of the parts entertainment-wise for many, many years as well. In that, they've always had some, you know, useful strikers and and good playmakers and good attacking midfielders, but they've been dour to watch a lot of the time. Is that the best thing Gal Southgate's done? Thirty-seven goals in eight. Qualifying games, the opposition was not, you know, of the highest standard, but still, that's the highest, the most goals anyone scored in qualifying. Are they just better to watch now? Yes. I mean, we've just got, <clears throat> I think that we have, uh, an array of talent across different age groups, which I think is important. Um, and I think that regardless of what you think about Southgate's coaching abilities, most of those players at club level are playing or have been playing uh, under really high-level tactical coaches. And I think that you see a lot of that when England play these days. Um, so, I mean, I guess you could argue it was the same when you go back to, you know, Benitez, Ferguson, Wenger, and that generate that England generation. But I'm not sure. I feel this is a different. This is a different collection of players with a different set of priorities, a different style of football, and a different era. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is. Without rambling too much, it's definitely the most exciting England team that I can remember. And looking ahead. Uh, the finals, do they still excite you? Because I still think it's a special time. Maybe it's the summer. I think Qatar 2022 is going to ruin this uh, point altogether. But, yeah, because it will be a winter tournament and there'll be, there'll be something lacking from it for being that. But, you know, a summer international tournament like this, do you still get excited in the weeks leading up to a tournament like this? You know, beat the Euros or the World Cup? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I... Uh... I feel that um, international football during the qualifiers is something that it's very difficult to get into for loads of different reasons. But I think tournaments are just tournaments. They're, it's great. It's like, you know, takes me back to being a kid again. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. any international tournament, I'm immediately transported back to Euro 96. Honestly, whenever an international tournament starts, I have that buzz. Uh, and inevitably England, you know, disappoint in the end, but it's always fun whilst you have hope. Um, and I guess the thing about this tournament is that if you look at the nadir that was however many years ago it was, um, to go from where we were to where we are in the last four or five years, where we feel now we've got a really exciting England team and a chance of winning a tournament, I just think that's a great thing. And I, I'd be, be shocked if and and also it's going to feel like a home tournament. I heard the yeah. other day somewhere that like so apparently like all the Belgian games have been given to Wembley because yeah. because uh, go on yeah Flemish. I, I I don't know the political obviously Belgian politics is can be quite complicated so indeed different uh, yeah factions Flemish against whatever anyway their Euro Stadium was. They were arguing over money, who was building it, whatever. So it didn't get built two years ago. Their four games they were allocated were given to Wembley. So Wembley gets Wembley was getting semi-finals and final anyway, but now, and all the host nations that qualified, get two home games anyway. But Wembley gets seven games now. So I don't know if that means every England game is at home. Maybe the round of 16? I think it's the six? semi-final, mate. I think that if England get to the semi-finals, yeah, whichever side they're on, the semi will be at Wembley. Yeah. No, I think both semis are at Wembley, but the final is they're good, at least two, if not three, group games are at home. Right, well, there you go. So it's a home there can only be one knockout game at most that isn't. Mm. So, yeah, it's very, very close to being a home tournament. So 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really, I'm definitely, it's definitely something that I'm not looking forward to now because there's a whole football season to be played. But as soon as the 40 season's over, I'll be ready for it. Yeah. And part of the reason, obviously, I don't know if you saw Kevin De Bruyne moaning about the structure uh, this week, but uh, the draw is pretty much already known for Belgium because of all the caveats. But because of that, then, because Belgium, because of the political arguments and them losing four games, Belgium would have had two group games at home as well as one of the hosts. Now that they're not one of the hosts, all their games will be away. So pretty bad news for Belgium themselves uh, for their chances. But obviously with their team, they will fancy the chances either way. So Yeah, I mean, it's just such a good team, that team that... Uh and I mean, look, for a lot of those European-based players, it's fine. Like, whether you play in England or you play in Belgium or you play in France, I mean, kind of is what it is. Oh, in Baku. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's spread this one out. Uh, yeah, and all the better that the Olympics follow soon after, I think. So I do like uh, every four years when you get a major football tournament, then the Olympics, I've no idea when it is, but much better to have a year with a an even number when you've got a summer tournament to, to enjoy. Uh, so, yeah, should be good. So, and no, more importantly, no international breaks until March now. So, uh, let's move on anyway. Let's, before we look at City Chelsea, let's, uh, have to pick another game for this weekend. You chose well. Yeah. Well, it's not the, I mean, you've got the return of Jose, but we, I think we've spoken enough about that at West Ham. Uh, Manuel himself under pressure, but I think there's only one game on Sunday and it's Sheffield United against Manchester United. So, first question, is Ole under extra pressure after the sacking of Muzio Pochettino? So, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to flip this around. I think I'd rather talk about Sheffield United first. Um, I, I think that, can I, can I do that? <sighs> I'm, I'm losing the the crowd here come on let me <laughs> let me go first come on so yeah, because yeah, I, I feel as though I feel as though that's the obvious conversation but actually wait Sheffield United are where in the league fifth the fifth and they have 17 no. points from 12 games is that correct yeah. I mean yeah I'll just point I don't want to uh, knock what the, where they are because that's brilliant uh, but just a little caveat there I think there are let's have a look three points between them in fifth and Spurs in 14th, or Everton in 15th, and West Ham in 16th, 34 points. So basically, one defeat, and they could slide eight places. Yeah. Uh, because obviously the top four are so adrift from the rest that it's a bit of a false position, but nevertheless, it is what it is. That's a brilliant achievement to get 17 points for 12 games, considering I don't think their fixture list has been that kind to them either. They've played Liverpool... I think they've played a lot of the top teams already. Mm. Yeah. So that you know, that's the impressive thing more than the actual point teller. I think so. I think also just having watched them play, um, they've impressed me in the way that they play. Like it's I'm quite a football purist, right? And maybe it comes from I don't know, whatever. Like I, I don't like to watch rubbish games of football. Having grown up watching City play for most of my life, we played horrendous football and the nadir being Stuart Pierce's season. So is that fair for me to say that was a nadir for City, Pierce's, uh, Pierce's full season in charge? Cause I almost, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, but for me, it's almost, you know, it's no. it's up there with some of the worst of the worst. You know what I mean? Like what well, the Nadir was the third tier of English football. But no, but for, like for for entertainment value, that was the Nadir. Yeah, this is what I mean. That like City were always entertaining, even when we were awful. Yeah, we managed to find ways to entertain. And <laughs> yeah, Pierce just could do, yeah. yeah, Pierce <laughs> Pierce just could do neither. Do you know what I mean? It was just there was a nothingness. Anyway. Um, I digress. So I'm a bit of a purist. And when I first watched Sheffield United, I expected to really dislike watching them play. What I expected was some Burnley Mark II shit that just annoyed me and made me flip it over after five minutes. But they really impressed me. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is because it's not like they play like Guardiola's City or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? There's a, they yeah. mix it up. They're a, 
They're a, 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 a traditional football. They're more of a traditional football team than I would consider to be like a hipster playing out from the back football team. But that's not to say that they can't play football. Um, they impress me. And then, you know, like, for example, the Liverpool game, I thought they were brilliant. And I mean, you know, that's maybe the toughest opposition that you're going to face. And it's not just... Because, you know, you, the, the best way to patronise teams like that is to go, oh, they were so brave. Oh, they worked so hard. Fine. They did all that. But bollocks to that. Why they impressed me? Because they played really good football when they got the ball. Because they figured out how to get in behind Liverpool time and time again. Just, you know, they've they've just really impressed me. And I think that there's definitely a, a chasm in terms of the quality of players that they've got. But I still think they can survive. Yeah, I mean the thing. Well, I mean they really should survive from this point. But the thing with promoted sides and you know the squad depth is you just don't know what's around the corner. Totally. So many teams have had great starts, but once they hit a spiral, you know there's just no stopping it. I tell you what, though, Howard, I think if they take three this weekend, right? If they manage to beat United, if they've got twenty points from thirteen games, I'm putting my hand up and saying they're safe from there. Yeah, because Watford are on eight in eighteenth, so. You know, do have nine points on uh, the eighteenth place team already? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think that it's, I think it's, I think it is still like a, a little bit of a, uh, it's still tight, like you say, and that it can fall the other way. But I just feel as though, from a mentality point of view, if they can beat United this weekend at home and get themselves to twenty points, I think they survive. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be something like an injury crisis that would do for them if it goes wrong. But the only, what they only have to do now is just say a mid-table home form. Yeah, you know, be competitive at home, and they've got enough on the on the board to, to you know to see them through. Maybe Absolutely. that's been negative. Maybe the uh, maybe their sights are a lot higher than that. So, but mm. yeah, we will see. Well, I think a lot of it is to, you know I, I think the two teams that you reference that are down in the bottom half, Everton and and West Ham. I think a lot depends upon whether a lot of those teams get their act together. Do you know what I mean? Um, because if they don't, then why not? You know, it's, it's uh, won't be the first time that a promoted team has found themselves in the top half of the table at the end of the season because you know a lot of teams have underachieved. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I wanted to not patronise Sheffield United and just say so far they look really good and the managers impressed me, the players have impressed me. And I've enjoyed watching them. Yeah. I just wonder how the PR side of it will go once they're fully uh, Saudi-owned or whatever. But yeah, we'll see if they get the same treatment. But good luck to them anyway. And Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they've got Wolves away next. Then they've got Newcastle at home and Norwich and then Villa. So Newcastle, Norwich, Villa coming up as the first, you know, at the start of December. There's uh, There's opportunities there. Yeah, yeah, for them to to really build and yeah, keep them well away, well, well, well away from uh, a relegation fight in the second half of the season. Yeah, right. You know, you're not avoiding it anymore. Is Ole under extra pressure after the Pochettino sacking? <sighs> Who knows, man. Um, I, I don't think he's too much of a fraud to feel any pressure. That's my <laughs> that's my that's my overall take. Um, he's just a bot. He just repeats like platitudes. I've not seen anything like, so you remember I was quite positive about Solskjaer last season. I said, yeah. everybody give him a chance, right? And maybe I was just trying to be generous because I don't find him as detestable as I find a lot of the other ex-United players. Um, but I always said that the proof of the pudding will be how they start this season because then he will have had a whole preseason. He will have been able to buy a few players and just expect to see progress. They haven't, I've, I've seen no progress. They've gone backwards. They look like trash. They play rubbish football. All of the players look as bad as they did under Mourinho. So he's a fraud. Do you know what I mean? Um, is he under extra pressure because of the Pochettino sacking? I think he was already under an immense amount of pressure because I think ultimately Manchester United are going to take a massive financial hit when they don't qualify for the Champions League again this season. 
I think it'll be very difficult for them to attract top players if they don't get Champions League football again this season. I just, yeah, that I mean, my final question on this, you know, on the agenda of this bit: Are they bulletproof financially, or not just the attraction no. of players, but the finance side? No. No, because you can't... I don't think that you can, like... That's been the problem with United. Okay. Though, you know, as, from a city side is, however many mistakes they make, they can just go and spend to try and rectify it. And they've obviously tried that and done a terrible job for five years. But the feeling's always been that they will always just have incoming money more than anyone to just... And eventually, even, you know, by trial and error, the law of averages, they'll get it right. But do you think, really, they are now... We're now getting to the point where... Those days are over, and financially, they might be about to go off the cliff. Well, I don't know if it's—I don't know if they'll go off a cliff, but I think that there comes a point. So, their sponsorship deals uh, are slowly going to get downgraded, right? Um, the Champions League income has dried up as they're not competing in the Champions League. Their wage bill is as high as it's ever been. It's not sustainable without some level of success and i think that you know it, it's it's hard for me to imagine how they can so you know like their links with sancho and harland and all of these like yeah. top talents and it's hard for me to imagine how a mid-table man united having had no champions league football in two years can attract the world's top young talents with Solskjaer as manager. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like, even if you just, it's not about looking, don't look at United in isolation. Just write down all the other clubs that these players could potentially go to and the coaches who were at those clubs. If you're Sancho and Tuchel rings you and Zidane rings you and Solskjaer rings you, I'm sorry, but it's hard to imagine Ole winning that yeah, conversation. Do you know what I mean? The pull of the name Manchester United is, for the first time, no greater than their neighbours or Liverpool or any of the other European big teams. It's just there's no like desire Absolutely. for world class players, you know, to put on that red shirt. It, I would say that's what's doing the dissent. That's why they have to pay more wages because otherwise the players don't come. They're not coming for the love of the shirt like they've always claimed they are. And there was an element of truth for that at some point, you know, in their, you know, when they were really successful. The name alone can bring players in. Uh, but that's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think they'll, they'll, they'll always be, you know, like Liverpool all the way through their, you know, trash years. We're always Liverpool and there's always a player that goes there and you raise your eyebrow and you go, wow, you know, but, and that, and I think maybe Harry Maguire in the summer, in the summer shows that a little bit because City did want him. And in the end, he did choose to go at United. He could have said, I won't go at United because Man City want me. Yeah. And he could have forced the price down, but he didn't. He, he was happy to go at United. So there will be players who will, who will make that choice, but. They're a mess, man. They're such an irrelevant football club to me. It's kind of funny. They could force the price down. I think Leicester have been quite clear about that. You know, they've kept Van Dijk here. Van Dijk wanted to go earlier than he actually went. It's a fair shout. Yeah, but I think Leicester's policies. Van Dijk was at oh, Southampton. Sorry, yeah. like, no, but, no, I mean, yeah, sorry about that. But it's players. Southampton had the same principle as Leicester. That's because I've had the heating on overnight. It's gone to me. It's frazzled my brain. Now, I think those two <laughs> clubs, though, have the, exactly the same principle. You'll go for this price or you stay. And I think Leicester were quite prepared yeah. to say, no, no, if no one pays 80 million, you're just staying at Leicester next year. You're not going to City for less than we're demanding. We can get more elsewhere. So I don't think the players do have the power at Leicester, Southampton, or wherever to get prices down like that, unless there's certain circumstances. Uh, but I, yeah, so I don't, I'm not sure United's. Pull. I think that was a money decision above everything else. In my opinion, okay. I don't know the. Yeah. You know, okay. No, no. You make a very, you make a very well, valid and fair yeah, argument. Let's look man. at the game. Then. How do you see it going? If you, you know, take it all, not prejudice biases or what you think it is. If you were just a, new, a total neutral here, would you actually say Sheffield United have got as good a chance in this game as United? And do you see it being a cautious game or? 
I think it'll be a high intensity game, weirdly enough, because I think that Sheffield United, you know, they they like to engage the opposition. Um I think that United's away form under Solskjaer is pretty horrible. One win since January, I think, something like that. Um so I think it'll be a very even game. Uh, I don't think that United will run away with it the way that they ran away with the Norwich game when they went to Norwich or in the way that at home Brighton were so easy in the end to play against and gave away such soft Mm. goals that made it very easy. I don't think Sheffield United will make it easy for Man United. And I think that that's United. Maybe, you know, I'm getting to what one of United's biggest problems is, is that for many, many, many years now, going all the way back since Ferguson has gone, when a game is difficult, they can't deal with it. They're fine with games that feel all right, that feel easy, that feel manageable. But in general, any team, any quote-unquote lower opposition who make it difficult for United, they don't like it and they tend to not find solutions and they tend to get very frustrated, very lethargic and very... Yeah, I mean, just unprepared. Like, that's a good way to describe Man United over the last four or five years. Whenever I've watched them, they just looked unprepared for whatever's going on in front of them. And I expect Saturday, especially if... Uh, Sunday, sorry. Especially if Sheffield United are robust in, in their defensive organisation and try and engage United and press them a little bit and pose a little bit of a threat on the counter-attack, which they definitely did against Liverpool. If they pose that threat on the counter against United, United will concede yeah. goals. Right, well, finally, uh, now, do bear in mind, star midfielder Scott McTominay is out injured for three weeks. What's your score prediction? <sighs> 1 1. Yeah, I agree. Right, this will be interesting to watch anyway. Uh, Right, let's finally, of course, let's talk about City against Chelsea. Uh, 5.30 kick-off, I assume, on Saturday tea time. Is this game a lot trickier than it appeared a month ago? Is that stating the obvious? No, it's a lot simpler than it was a month ago. Yeah, because um, we can only win. That is the only option. There is no room for anything else, it simplifies everything that's going to happen in the Premier League. Um, but that's kind of not why you asked me that question. You're asking me that because of Chelsea's form in the last month, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, a bit of both, yeah. Yeah, well, I think... I think that I've been really impressed with what Lampard has done there. Um, I like the way Chelsea play. Again, that purist in me... Um, they like to engage the opposition high up the pitch. They, Whenever they get the ball, they want to get it forward as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they're, a, they're just a fun team to watch play. And they have some individually fantastic players who can murder you. I think Pulisic is proving to be a, a good buy. I think that um, Mason Mount has been an absolute revelation this season. I think that Lampard has got Willian playing like Willian played under Mourinho, which is probably his best time at, uh, at Chelsea. Um is there. I mean, where Chelsea are weak for me is in the back four, which is what kind of makes the uh, the prospects of the game quite mouth-watering. Um, let me ask you a question, actually, Howard. Are you, have you seen enough of Chelsea to make a judgment no, on? I've seen a huge amount. Uh, well, I mean, I've seen fair bits, but I think it's more about when you look at the... You know, I wrote the, something of a deflection. You know, the transfer ban and Lampard, the neo-rookie manager, is something of a deflection, in a way, in that when you look through the squad, it's actually very good. I mean, Hazard's gone, Absolutely. and that, that would be a loss to anyone. But it's like us losing Kevin De Bruyne injured for a season. It's a loss, but there's plenty more there. And Hazard actually kind of free... You know, by not having a star player like Hazard there all the time, it can actually free the team up because you become a bit reliant on him quite a lot. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think we're doing 
the squad a disservice by saying this was a, a, a free hit for Lampard and that nothing would be expected of them. As you say, it's packed with lots of great players. And once with the transfer ban, they've got you know, some of their 970 loan players back. Then they've got a very useful squad there indeed and are performing as they really should rather than a way, way, way above expectations. Uh, so yeah, I don't think it's that big a surprise. I don't, again, I don't, what about the young players? Well, yeah, they have certainly played as well as you could possibly expect them to. Uh, they've been excellent. Okay. Yeah, Do you think Abraham maybe still very undecided by players like that, but no, they've, they've performed. Well, you know, when I've seen them, they've done the business uh, and they've been key to this revival and them being in the top four. Mm. Do you think that... Um, I feel as though... So I'm going to go back to the opening weekend of the season and Mourinho's criticism of the naivety of Chelsea. He was very critical of the way that Chelsea played. And he basically did the classic Mourinho thing of going, oh, look at all the spaces that they leave. Like, it's naive to press like that. And basically, basically, he was trying to make the point that Lampard's trying to be a hipster, but teams that try to be hipsters, they get exposed. Look at how Man United exposed them. Um, and subsequently, Chelsea have been pretty robust defensively as well. And Lampard's beginning to get an uplift from even somebody like Zuma, who was really poor at the start of the season, is beginning to stabilize and, and even improve a little bit. So the question that I wanted to ask you was, you wrote how good a job is Lampard doing? My question is, is he being a bit underrated? Under, I don't. It's just a vague question, in a way. How, yeah, how so many so people let me, rated? Let me him. let I me mean, phrase. He, I don't know. Just, I think they're playing with freedom. So I mean, I don't. I don't think that defense has yet been lined up. There's the, the, the still erratic a bit. You know, they can win in Ajax away, but then uh, then the four one down at home to at some point before they have two players sent off. And yeah, you know, but then they win two four at Burnley. So he's playing entertaining football. But mm. yeah, you know, five two at Wolves, two all over to Sheffield United. So two three at Norwich. So yeah, he's he's playing with. I guess he's is that naive. Yeah, you know, the the experts, so to speak, will tell you that you can't. You can only go so far if you're going to be leaking goals like that. But I don't think we. St- he's still probably learning on the job, so I can't. As a Chelsea fan, I think you'd be extremely happy with what he's done. He's certainly not been overrated. Mm. Yeah, probably a bit of underrating there because they are in the top four, and they probably weren't one of the the favourites to be in the top four at this stage. Uh, they're above City, you know. It says, yeah. and they've won in Ajax, which is quite an achievement. They're doing, yes, you know, so they're doing fine in the Champions League. It's the season's going very well. It's, you can't really define is he underrated or overrated because everyone's got so many different opinions. But that did, you know, we said in the summer, I don't know what to expect with him. He's, I think he came sixth with Derby, and that was kind of a par result for Derby in the Championship. So, and it was his first mm. season though. So, absolutely no idea what we could expect. And the opening day at Old Trafford was an anomaly. At the end of the day, it's not defined them and how they play. Yeah, but Pep will be looking at that. Pep will have to say, look, they do leak goals. So I think the key is that we dominate the ball. That would be his priority. Well, it's even, I think it's even wider than that. I think, you know, what we've got to do is we've got to be not profligate in the final third. We cannot be the team who needs eight chances to score a goal because the forwards are being bellends, excuse my language. But, you know, those guys, they need to make sure that they've got their shooting boots with them because I think that going back the other way, Chelsea will score a goal at the Etihad, if not score more than a goal. I think we can score more goals than them, but I think that it comes down to Aguero, Raz, Mares, KDB, absolutely turning up properly properly turning up and not just turning up and putting in good performances between the boxes putting in performances yeah. in the boxes um and just to kind of go back to Lampard and the kind of the, the conversation about underrated overrated the reason I feel he's been a bit underrated is because 
I think that I keep reading that it's been very easy for Lampard because of the 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 champion uh, the the transfer ban, and I think that's quite patronising and quite unfair. Because if you go back to the beginning of the season and the pre-season predictions, there was a litany of Chelsea won't finish in the top four. There was a litany of it's going to be really hard for Chelsea. They've you know it was just it, everybody was convinced that they were going to do do shit. And now they're doing really well. I keep reading, ah, so easy for Lampard, like, you know, just throw the youngsters in. And he knew that, like, he knew Mason Mount from Derby and he's got no pressure playing there and it's helped them all. I'm sure that for some of the players within the squad, not having new players come in in their positions was a benefit in the sense that maybe, especially for the young players, it gave them freedom to express themselves knowing that there isn't a senior player about to take their spot. But that's about it. You still, you know, Chelsea are Chelsea. They're a big club in the last 10 years. Do you know what I mean? The expectations to win games will always be the expectations to win games. The criticism that Lampard got after the uh, the defeat to, to United at Old Trafford was was very, very strong. And it came from, you know, Mourinho is seen as a footballing brain and Mourinho tore shreds off Lampard. So I just feel that there's been a little bit of a, now the results are going well and he's managed to get all of these players doing really well and he's got a system and people are beginning to go, ah, be, you know, it's easy for him. Well, not easy, but like, it's been easier for him because of the transfer ban. And I don't know, I just, it's a, it's a weird narrative. I think that Lampard deserves a, a ridiculous amount of credit for the way Chelsea are playing, the way they're getting results. Um, and yeah, I mean, even, for example, Jorginho, the absolute pupil yeah. of the previous manager, the first guy I thought would be like, I'm out of here. And the first guy I thought Lampard would go, get him out of my dressing room because he is literally the the pupil of the former manager. And he's, you know, different player. Same attributes, different player under Lampard. I see that really impresses me. Stuff like that really, really impresses me. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch for, us, for the neutral. Maybe even, well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I remember, I remember saying we played West Ham on the opening day. We played West yeah. Ham very early on in the season game, this yeah. season. And I, I I enjoyed that and you know maybe we weren't out of sight and maybe it felt like we were a bit open at times and but I just enjoyed it because it was a really great game of football to watch um and I remember saying that at half time when we weren't winning so I'm uh I'm definitely looking forward to it and I think that it will be a will be a cracking game and I think it's hard to analyze because of the result that that City are coming off the back of it's difficult to no, under normal circumstances, you'd look at what happened last season. You'd look at the way that Chelsea, how they're not massively different under Lampard than what they were under Sarri in terms of the way that they play. And you'd go, oh, I feel really confident. But because of the result that we're coming off the back of, maybe I've not... Do you feel confident? Uh, not overly confident, no. I think it'll be a close, tight game. But as I say, I think it'll be the key area is in front of goal. If we are clinical in front of goal, yeah, mm. we will win. I am confident we will have as many chances, more chances than them. That I am confident about. But I don't, yeah, yeah, as you say, we have been so wasteful. Yeah. Uh, so, do you think mm. is the pressure on City for, for this one? It's the worst phrase. I hate this phrase. But is it a must-win game? I mean, Liverpool play at three o'clock away to yes. Palace. Could be tricky, but I'll be honest. I expect them to win that. Uh, we did. Yeah. And we're a crisis club. So <laughs> we could be 12 points behind as we go into the game. Yeah. Is it must win? Uh, I just think it's a must win regardless of the Liverpool result because I think that we want to show that even if we're not going to win this league, we're not going to make it easy for Liverpool. And I think that one of the key... Granted, we've not had a lot of poor results under Guardiola, but one of the key traits is that whenever we've had a poor result, the next performance and result has been absolutely correct and I can't think of a better example than the two Spurs games I've referenced them a lot in the last few weeks when talking about 
our mental strength and the idea that we're not going to let this go easy. We're not going to let it go easy. I believe in this collection of players and more so I believe in Guardiola to find solutions to the problems that he's got and to inspire and motivate the players to, you know, use what happened at Anfield as a, uh, an extra motivation to, to go there on Saturday evening at home on telly under the lights and put a performance yeah. in. Do you know what I mean? Put a masterclass in. I'd be talking. I'd be, I'd be going to Kevin De Bruyne. Mate, you've been seven out of 10 at best since the season started. You need to go up to eight and nine now, lad. I'd be going to Aguero and I'd be going, right, boyo. You didn't score at Anfield again. You need to get that trick tomorrow to make up for that. I'd be looking at Sterling and I'd be going, you were good, but lad, you, need, you, had, you had a chance. You had a chance with your head, but it was a massive chance and it would have changed the game. Tomorrow, go make sure when the chance comes, you absolutely bury it. I'm People have obsessed about the defence and I keep coming back to this idea that if we take our chances, it doesn't matter what happens at the other end of the pitch. My issue is when we stop taking chances and I feel we're getting ourselves into good positions but we're not taking enough chances and it's come and it's burnt us big time against Liverpool. And I want to see a different type of forward performance against yeah. Chelsea. And if this is the trend that continues, then City won't win the league. And that will be as simple as that in a way. And you know, does, they won't mm. deserve to. That's the way it is. Uh, one of those, one of those seasons. Yeah. But the flip of that, totally. But I think the flip of that, and I think that this is, I'm just not prepared to end that conversation on that negative note because I think the flip side of that is that I do not expect Pep Guardiola to let this group of players let Liverpool mm. run away with this league. It's not going to happen. The idea that we're going to have a Pellegrini or a Mancini-esque fall off a cliff with the quality of players that we've got won't happen. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe I'll have egg on my face. I don't care. I believe in this group of players and in this coach, and I do not think that that's what's going to happen. I expect us to play at a really high level against Chelsea. So we can't, you can't win every game, even if you play at a really, really high level. You can still end up coming unstuck for a million and one reasons. What I don't want to see us do is let ourselves down in terms of performances. You can't really control the results. You can control your own performances. Um, and that's where I'd like to see an incremental improvement from the forward line. Yeah. Uh, finally, then, how do you envisage the side lining up for this one? Mm. It's a tricky pick? one. It's a tricky one. Bernardo suspended. Um, to be honest, I think that Guardiola will pick. Who would you play? In the midfield three. Let's start with that. I'd play Rodri. I'd play KDB. In fact, no, I'm going to take that back. I'd play Gundo. I'd play KDB and I'd play David Silva or Foden. I think he'll go with Rodri. I know. KDB, David Silva. Which I'm fine with. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think. Um, I mean, Gundo one, yeah. It, uh, yeah. I'm fine with that as well as a DM. Okay. But I don't want him partnering up. Yeah, if he plays Rodri and Gundogan, then again, we're in that situation, aren't we? That uh, I think David Silva will come back in, to be honest. So mm. I think it's Mario Sterling Aguero. And I think Cancelo will come in at right back. Mendy played for France. I've not heard of him struggling thereafter again. Uh, so, and I think it'll be Fernandinho and, well, probably Stones. I say probably Stones. I don't really know, do I? So, <laughs> uh, I think Stones hey, plays. Another, yeah. I think Stones. I think Stones plays. I think it's Stones and Ferner. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Cancelo Walker is a very difficult one. To, to be honest, the fullback positions kind of burnt my head out again this season. <laughs> I just don't know. It's just like, do you know what I mean? He's not had much football, Cancelo, anyway. So no, you know, for a sixty million pound signing, I think. He will start getting some football, irrelevant of what you, th- you know, whether Kyle Walker's been brilliant, average, or wherever yeah. you stand on that scale. Cancelo has to get some football. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think he's just, he's the younger player and he's, he's a more exciting player in an attacking sense. And, you know, I feel as though as bad as we've been in the 
defensive box. I think that we need to improve in the attacking box. So I'm okay with uh, with with the idea of trying Cancelo against uh, against Chelsea. Uh, so final word, Danny, are you confident that City will be ruthless in this and will win the game? Another yes. 6-0? <laughs> no, I think that... Um, no, I think that what, what I expect actually is a very open, entertaining, attacking game, but I expect City to actually shade both boxes. So for me... I can see a game that ends 4-2 or a game that ends 3-1 because I think we just shade it defensively and I think we shade it in the, uh, in the attacking sense as well. And I think Edison being back will, uh, will give, uh, will will give us that, that extra boost in the back four, I think, back five. Okay. All right. Well, I think we've covered everything then. Uh, nothing else you want to discuss? Um, no, I'm, 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 uh, I'm I'm just looking forward to the weekend football, man. Two weeks was uh, I'm ready. That's all I'm going to say. Bring the Barclays back. It's back. The Premier League <laughs> and the Champions League, and well, soon some more domestic cup action as well. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully we'll have uh, plenty more shows coming. Of course. So thanks, Asaf, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Howard. Yeah, we'll have a review of this game, of course. Uh, previews and reviews of the Champions League and all the games and a lot more besides coming up next week. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you've heard uh, and you don't subscribe, then do consider doing so. Price of a pint. I would go as far as to say it's now less than the price of an average pint in Manchester City Centre for a month's subscription. Uh we do loads of shows all week long, uh, plenty of content, and do check out the blog site as always. So until next time, uh, goodbye, a Up the blues! And goodbye, listeners. Until next time, goodbye.